Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is series 2, episode 301 of this daily study podcast. Thank you for joining us as we begin our study of October the 26th to November the 1st, Mormon 1 to 6, I would that I could persuade all to repent. And we're going to begin uh, in Mormon chapter 1. Uh, which is titled in the manual as I can live righteously despite the wickedness around me. So uh, we really do begin to enter into a period of the Book of Mormon where there is great sorrow and great uh, suffering and uh, just some really distressing scenes um, with the people of Nephi. We begin with Mormon himself introducing himself to the uh, to the story as as a young as a young child really. He says in Mormon chapter 1 verse 2, And about the time that Amaron hid up the records unto the Lord, he came unto me, I being about ten years of age, and I being began to be learned somewhat, somewhat after the manner of the learning of my people. And Amaron said to me, I perceive that thou art a sober child, and art quick to, to observe. Now just imagine, you know, a ten-year-old kid, uh, my son is eight years old, so, you know, not, not far off that age now. And um, I just think about how the qualities of Mormon must have really shone out amongst the people. And of course, uh, in this chapter, we are going to be able to see just kind of the state of the general population of the Nephites and the Lamanites at this time, uh, and how Mormon may well have stood out amongst this people as a sober child. I I want to have a look at that word sober. I think sometimes we we see the word sober as meaning serious and very solemn. And whilst that might be, be a factor of being a sober child. I think it actually is, is a bit more than that. Um, John M. Butler uh, said this, quote, we first meet Mormon as a young boy of 10 as he is visited by the prophet Amaron, who perceives that Mormon is a sober child and quick to observe. An alert and reverent child must have been unusual in those days as it is in ours. Lucy Mac Smith, Joseph Smith's mother, records that Joseph was a remarkably quiet, well-disposed child. From his own history, we see that Joseph is quick to observe the religious excitement around him and takes an active role in calling upon God for direction. Thus, both these men who became prophets were alert, reverent, and attentive to the nudgings of the Lord as boys. The Lord used them because they were spiritually awake and had learned in their youth to keep the commandments of God. Close quote. I think that's an interesting point, first of all, because um, you will see a lot of parallels with Joseph Smith, uh, with Mormon, uh, which which is interesting, considering that Mormon is, out of the 23 record keepers of the Book of Mormon, probably the most important uh, as the abridger of these records. And so it's his work that's passed on to the prophet Joseph Smith in reality, um, but also just kind of the state of the world that they were both in at the time as well. Um and also this word sober, um, I think that, yes, it refers to a reverence, uh, but also there was a, a great point made. Uh, I believe it was on the um, Don't Miss This podcast. Uh, and one of the co-hosts talked about sober meaning not drunk, um, which basically means not being influenced by other things. And I love the idea of the word sober meaning not being influenced by other things. Um, and so Mormon was clearly a, a a boy, a person of this stature, where he wasn't influenced by the wickedness of those around him, which we'll see was great um, in a moment. In Mormon chapter 1, verse 3, um, Amaron continues to, to speak to him, and he says, Therefore, when ye are about twenty and four years old, I would that ye should remember the things that ye have observed concerning this people. And when ye are of that age, go to the land Antum, unto a hill which which 
shall be called Shim. <clears throat> and there have I deposited unto the Lord all the sacred engravings concerning this people. Um, so Mormon is given knowledge of these records. He is told by a prophet about it, um, and he's told that, you know, after a period of time, he is to go to that map, to that hill, and to recover these records. Again, sounding very familiar. Um, and what is interesting is Hugh Nibley points out something very interesting about this name of the hill Shim, which I hadn't noticed before. Um, he says, quote, the hill Shim is very interesting. What's the Arabic word for Shim? It means north, north country. Shim is north in any Semitic language. So here's another one of those places where the Book of Mormon just casually tosses off a bit of evidence at no extra charge. But people don't notice these things. Therefore, go to the hill Shim, and there I have deposited unto the Lord all the sacred engravings. He knew that, that the movement would be northward. It wouldn't be safe for them to remain south when they start this long, tragic retreat here. Close quote. So Amaron, as a prophet, knows that the Nephite people are going to be pushed further north, away from the, the Lamanites, who live in the south, as we know. Uh, and so he has deposited these records in a hill Shim, which means north, so it's northward. Um so, so he knows that Mormon will be able to retrieve those records. Um, and, you know, first of all, the Lord once again knows the ways of the people. He knows the ways of the world and he knows what's the best place for his work to be, where it's, where it's best for his work to be deposited and, and be able to be found. But also the name Shim means northward, uh, which, again, the Book of Mormon just shows once again, it is a translation. It is a true record. Um, Joseph Smith wouldn't have known that the name Shim would have meant northward, and yet it fits perfectly into this context, which is brilliant. Um, in verse 7, so Mormon, um, basically, uh, carries on living, um, and he was carried by his father into the land southward, even to the land of Zarahemla. So he goes further south to Zarahemla. So remember, so he wasn't living in this big city before, and now he goes to this big city of Zarahemla. And he says, the whole face of the land had become covered with buildings, and the people were as numerous, almost as it were, the sands of the sea. Now, I think that straight away we could be um, we could be falsely guided in thinking that there was literally millions of people living here at this time, like the sands of the sea. Um, but notice that he says, as it were, the sand of the sea. Uh, he's using a, a simile here. And to him, as a young 11-year-old child, um, he to him, it will have seemed that there was so many people. It was so numerous that it was the sands of the sea. Um, I'm not going to talk much more about that, but I thought that was an interesting uh, insight into, you know, just what was a real person writing these things down uh, and trying to put it into words, you know, the experiences that he had. Um, speaking of Mormon, that is. Then in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass that the war began to be among them in the borders of Zarahemla by the waters of Sidon. So it's basically, again, another war between the Nephites and Lamanites, and it's by the waters of Sidon. Now, we've we've seen the word Sidon quite a few times in the Book of Mormon, and it made me think, you know, when when, when else do we see the name or the river Sidon uh, appear in this record? And as I did some study into this, it is actually quite interesting to see how the river Sidon has played such an integral part within this Book of Mormon. With the Gospel Library app, it is now very easy to be able to do such study and such cross-referencing. But of course, it's all always there in the um, the study guides, the scripture aids as well, such as the Bible Dictionary and the Topical Guide. Uh, but the, the river Sidon 
is first referred to in Alma chapters 2 and 3, where there is a battle. And it's the battle between, if you remember, the Amlicites uh, and the Nephites, where Alma the Younger led them, and he battled Amlicai or Amlicai, however you want to say it, himself. Um, and the River Sidon, Sidon at that point is actually a site of a pretty gruesome scene. All the be- all the dead Lamanites and Amlicites were all thrown into the river Sidon at that time, and it's said about their bones being down there now. And um, it was. You know, it's obviously a horrific scene. We also have it being referred to as a very important landmark. So in Alma 6, chapter 6, chapter 8, uh, in Alma 50 and 56 as well, it's referred to as a place where it was journeyed by Alma. So he went east over the Sidon, then west over the Sidon uh, in Alma 6 and 8. And in Alma 50 and 56, it's a point of reference for the war uh, and pointing out where and in Alma 22, it, it identifies how it's, it splits the Nephites and Lamanites. And then, um, if you look further, it is the site of many battles as well. So Alma 16, there was another battle between the Nephites and the Lamanites, and it was a site where many people were killed. And then in Alma chapter 43 to 44, we see the, the debut, if you like, in the Book of Mormon at least, for Captain Moroni, where he goes to battle against Zarahemna. And this battle takes place at the River Sidon. Uh, and this is where the scalp is cut off Zarahemna and many Lamanites and Nephites are slain. And now here we see in Mormon chapter 1, once again, it is a site of warfare and death and destruction. And it's it's really quite a um, macabre place when you think about it. But one thing I do like is that it, despite, and this is really a metaphor for this entire book of, in terms of the Book of Mormon, not the actual book itself, but the the record of Mormon within the Book of Mormon. Um, it's almost like a metaphor for the the, the one or the few uh, righteous events or people within a whole group of wickedness. Because there is one time in the river Sidon that we see something that takes place that is beautiful or spiritual in nature, rather than a big battle or piled up bodies and things like that. And that's in Alma chapter 4. Um, in Alma chapter 4, we see it is a site of baptism and of changes of heart. This takes place after the battle of the Amalekites, uh, and in verse four it says, "And they began to establish establish the church more fully. Yea, and many were baptized in the waters of, of Sidon and were joined to the church of God. Yea, they were baptized by the hand of Alma, who had been consecrated high priest over the people of the church by the hand of his father Alma." Um, and so we see here that despite there potentially being great wickedness, great sorrows, and destruction in a, in, a, in a certain place, there is still hope. For, for individuals in that place, there can still be righteousness. The work of God can still continue forward, despite there being great tribulations and suffering and destruction. And I just thought that, that the River Sidon was a wonderful image of that as we start to move forward into Mormon, uh, because we are going to see that there is going to be a lot of sorrow and sadness and destruction. However, there is glimpses of moments where we see individuals such as Mormon and a few others who stand forward as examples and um, great role models uh, that we can look up to. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the study. Please do follow the podcast um, on Facebook. You can join it uh, on Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. And you can email ldsstudysession at gmail.com if you'd like to join in a future podcast episode or to leave some feedback. Thank you very much for your time. And until we meet again.